welcome to MPO's first AFL episode, which is just AFL instead of having it as a segment at the start of our normal programming. This is Tim. Um, my torment for this lovely episode is it, it's actually stemming back to the previous round, uh, not not the one we've just had, the one before when my good friend Brett Ratton um, was asked a question by media around his thoughts on the umpiring around the tackling in the Geelong game. Now, what I don't like is all these Muppets out on social media saying, ah, he's having a crack, he's making excuses for St Kilda's loss about the umpiring, blah, blah, blah. He never once used that as an excuse. He was asked a question in the media conference. He answered it. Would you rather him just say, no comment? Seriously. You're a bunch of bloody Muppets. Read the whole story first before having an opinion. Otherwise, just shut the hell up. Anyway, that was my torment. How are you going, Aaron? I'm doing well. <clears throat> doing well enough anyway. We've just seen the, the news about Plowman's band being <clears throat> upheld. So that's uh, a bit, um, bit disappointing. But anyway, we move on. No worries. And Mel, how are you going? Same as Aaron. I'm, I'm good, but um, really sad day for, for our game, isn't it? Not ideal at all, is it? No. And let's it's, just wait and see what happens with Holman. It could get a lot worse. It's almost like um, we're recording and this is the wake of the funeral of the AFL. It really does yeah. give you that dull, I wish... It was the way it was because you're thinking about, you know, the past and how great a game it was. Oh, guys, so, I'm flat. I'm flat. Yep. This is, you know, this is sad. We could, we, you know, we've essentially lost the bump. We could essentially be losing the tackle all in, all in a season and the season's not even halfway through. So it just, it leaves a, a footy purist like myself um, flat, sad. Sad, sad, yeah. sad. Hundred percent, and and look, the, the, it's almost like you you're at home, and you've been robbed of the two most important things you possess, and the two most mm. important things the game possesses is mm. the bump and tackling. That's oh, what look, I mean, makes people favorite, want to watch it. My favorite part of the game is not the free flowing <laughs> goal for goal shootouts. My favorite part of AFL football or Aussie rules is the tackling, the one percenters, the smothers, you know, the in and unders, the, the knock-ons. Like, the, that's what people want to see. The, the, the physicality of the game and the fact that it's a 360-degree game is what makes it unique. And 110%. it's being, being slowly eradicated by the AFL, which is very disappointing. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's what happens when you have a few guys sitting in an office making all the rulings that... I know some of them are ex-players, et cetera, like that, but they're just being too disconnected from the game for too long. They're not listening to what the average Joe that goes to the game wants to see. And that's Even- a good point you bring up too, Tim, because if you jumped on social media now, you'll see that 99% of fans are disappointed <laughs> with the decision on to ban Plowman, which mm-hmm. just shows you how out of touch the AFL is with the AFL community. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And look, we're, we're wanting to take care of our players. There's absolutely no doubt that, you know, that there's one single football member in the world 
that doesn't want our players to be taken care of while while they're playing and after they're playing. But we can't we can't remove the fundamentals of our great game um, when accidents will happen because it just is a contact sport and that's what it is. Hundred percent. And if I wanted to go and watch netball, I would go and watch the. Um... What are the, what's the Melbourne team called? The Phoenix the or Vixens. Vixens? Vixens, that's them. And look, go, they're go hard at it. Let's just put it this way: those <clears throat> girls are hard at it. It is actually a really entertaining sport to watch, and <clears throat> they, you know, they put everything into it. But it is a different sport than than um, Aussie rules. Aussie yep. rules is a contact sport, <clears throat> and there will be injuries, and some of those, unfortunately, will be head injuries. And I don't care <clears throat> what rules you implement. You can't get it out of our game 110% guaranteed. You can't. And the fact that the AFL are taking away these entertaining, um, spirited elements of our game is just is wrecking it. And do not tell me that having no crowds this year is all, you know, COVID and seeding. It's because people are getting a little bit disgruntled with what they're viewing. We want to see tough, hard, spirited, contested football with the physicality that Aaron mentioned, and we're not allowed to see it because the players aren't allowed to do it. Well, I know what I'm doing. If the football keeps doing stupid calls like, you know, he tackled him, it's a report, two weeks, I'm going to do what Daryl Kerrigan did in the castle and I'm going to buy some jousting bloody sticks and I'm going to take up jousting because that'll be more entertaining. It's an absolute you, joke. You know what? The, the problem <clears> with <throat> the Plowman one and the Holman initial decision to give him two weeks, it's all been decided on the outcome. There's been mm. been a concussion test and that's the determining factor. Look at Look at the incident and look at the action. If the action isn't illegal then there shouldn't be a sanction. No, there shouldn't be. And I think, you know, we're doing everything we can to protect the players' head head clash situations. We're doing everything to protect their health and safety and wellbeing. We've implemented a 12-day rule. We've implemented an extra sub for concussion. But going back to what I said before, and we all agree on this, you can't take away fundamentals of the game because you will not get rid of accidents. Accidents happen every day in our lives. It's so unfortunate, but you can't avoid it. And yep. to try and change our game to get rid of what's inevitable <clears throat> is going to take bums on seats away from the football. Yep. And they'll only have themselves to blame. Yep. And the, the thing is, if you want to reach the duty of care to the players, have the things after the fact that they have in place. Like you're not allowed to come back for a certain period of time. You yeah. have the concussion test, um, et cetera, like that. Look, I could be at work and something falls off a shelf and it's been in the head and gives me a concussion. You cannot adjudicate to protect everyone from everything. It's just minimise, minimise. You've got to live your life, as they say. <laughs> Yep. So this is a this is a football field. This is a football game. Players and the like all know <clears throat> that they're at risk. Whether that's a soft tissue injury, a break, concussion. Yes, it's just the way it is. We can't we can't avoid it. And destroying destroying the rules of our game is is absolutely the wrong way to go. Okay, yeah, I just want to 
before we wrap up on this topic, I just want to mention that I <clears> think <throat> this might be actually a momentous occasion for us because this is the first time I think that we've all agreed on something. <laughs> There's always um, a silver lining. Guys, I just looked out my window, even though it's dark, because the spotlight went on. And you know what caused the spotlight to go on? There was a pig flying up my driveway. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm mad. All right, so <laughs> let's move on. Um, we now have Mal's little segment, which I call Mal's Minute, but let's be honest, listeners, it's Mal's Minutes. Mal, over to you. Okay, so, fellas, I'm riled up, not in the best mood. So, fellas, I wanted to talk about home games and finals on the back of whingy, whiny, hard weeks comments of late. Here's a man representing a club that has the most gifted fixture in the competition, but he's still complaining. When will it stop? Do they want all 22 games at the G? I mean, it's ridiculous. Now, let me say, I do agree with one thing that Richmond said, and that is every club should get 11 home games and play them wherever they wish. We all agree on that, yes. But do Richmond realise that that also means that they must be prepared to play games at their opponent's home venue? So, therefore, I expect to see Richmond, Collingwood, Hawthorne, etc. at Cadinia Park. I expect them to play in Tasmania. I expect them to play Northern Queensland, Timbuktu, I don't care. Wherever their opponent wants to play their home games, Richmond are going to have to play there because they've just said that they want 11 home games at the MCG, which we can all agree on. So they can't have it both ways, Richmond. So I'll see you at Cadinia Park and I'll save you all a seat. Now, furthermore to this argument... If I can, boys, I want to add that what I don't think many people understand out there about AFL finals and the sham of the system that it is, is that the AFL are committed to a contract with the MCC and Geelong are the scapegoat. What people don't realise is that if Geelong don't make finals and mainly interstate clubs do, those clubs will be forced to play at the G. So it's not about fans, it's not about capacity or money, don't buy into it. It's about an ancient contract the AFL are not brave enough to get out of and what this means, I'll spell it out, what this means is that if we get a final eight, okay, guys, of all eight, or sorry, how many interstate clubs are there? Of all interstate clubs and the rest Marvel tenant, the AFL has to fulfil the MCC contract which would mean we could get a situation where West Coast plays Sydney at the MCG, even though they've earned a home final. So if Geelong don't make finals and therefore we're not the scapegoat, someone else has to become the scapegoat and they have to play at the MCG, even if they earn a home final. So only then will people understand the sham that our final system is. So get on board, Western Bulldogs supporters. Get on board, St Kilda supporters. If you make the finals, rally to play them at Marvel. Like Geelong are rallying and have rallied for years to play our finals at KP. It's just not good enough. 
that's my minute. Well, I must say off your minute, um, you lost your relevancy when you said St Kilda play finals because on the performance <laughs> against the bloody Bulldogs, it ain't going to happen. There's, there's one thing I like to get St Kilda, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean the sentiment still applies. Yeah, I 100% get it. what I was getting at. 100% so get it. I just get so riled up, especially on social media, when people say to me, Geelong should play at, you know, um, the MCG for home finals because all home finals should be in Victoria, not at Covina Park because of capacity. That's not what it's about. It's not about fans, people. Don't don't get into the cushy um, argument the AFL want you to believe. This isn't about fans. This is about a contract that they can't get out of with the MCC. So I don't know what year it was, but I think... I think it was 2004. Geelong members can help me on this. We played Brisbane and Brisbane earned a home final, but it was played at the MCG. So that worked obviously a little bit in Geelong's favour. We still lost the game, but that's what will happen. And for so many years, Geelong have made the finals. So we've been the scapegoat and, you know, Richmond are loving it, Collingwood are loving it. But at the end of the day, one day the tables are going to turn and everyone's going to go, hang on, this is ridiculous. Why are we playing interstate teams on the MCG when they've earned a home final? So the AFL have to sort this out and they need to sort it out quickly. Yep, no, 100%. And look, end of the day too, when the fans are actually thinking about it, the grand final is not for the people. It is the corporate cup. It's not, it's not for the fans. It's not for the members. It's the corporate I for, cup. I think for um, many of us, and I've been lucky enough to go to all of the Longs Grand Finals winning and losing and all our finals, actually, um, the atmosphere is at the prelim final. You know, yeah, because it's the last of the people's games. Yeah, the, the grand final doesn't have the, the same atmosphere. It has atmosphere, obviously, but yeah. not the same level of atmosphere as it does if it's a preliminary final where you've actually got 50-50 members there. So, um, you know, the way the ticket, that's another <laughs> another Mel's minute for another day, the way that the, the tickets are broken down, it's, it's criminal. But... Um, this home game situation, everybody, you know, um, I get a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of, of um, turmoil on social media about my passion for 11 home games at Cadinia Park, but we absolutely deserve it because every club deserves to play their home games where they want to and that's where we want to play ours. Well, I must say on that grand final experience, i um, seen a drawn grand final and... Um, Oh, is that one too? Yeah, and the atmosphere I didn't think was super-duper at that one. But then the next week I went and seen a Lionel Richie concert at the MCG on the Saturday afternoon, (laughs) and even though the result of the um, support act for Lionel Richie, which was the grand final, um, resulted the way it did, it was this totally different atmosphere compared to the one which was the Corporate Cup the week before. Interesting. <clears throat> Very much so. So, because that was opened up to the people, more members got to go to the replay, and yeah. I just think that that people get a little <laughs> bit sucked into the, oh, you know, 
um, we move games through Cadinia Park to the MCG because we want more fans <coughs> and, you know, you know, the same with um, AFL finals, you know, GWS can have their final on a 26,000 capacity stadium but Cadinia Park can't have finals and everyone, you know, how many times do you read on social media, but Geelong, build a bigger ground and we'll come. No, you won't. You won't come because you don't want to come. It's not about that. But what it, what it should be about, like it is about in every other world competition, world leagues, NFL, you name it, is if you earn a home ground advantage, then you play it on your home ground. But Geelong have a bigger test where we're just wanting to get to get 11 home games we're still we're still at that argument so when I hear um Windjuani Hardwick say you know we can't play at Marvel you know 1.4 kilometers away from the MCG for one game a year it really sets my you know what off I just can't stand it yeah, well, look, Mel, I must say, as far as Hardwick goes, I wiped him last year when he made those comments um, about David Swartz um, and mental health. To me, the guy's a Muppet, so he's just an oxygen thief that has happened to um, manage to get a couple of um, premierships. He's, uh, pushing, he's pushing his power, and when it when it comes to, to a battle about um, home games, he's yeah, he's not going to win this one with the people, that's for sure. No, no, one feel, no one feels sorry for the position Richmond's in. And, yes, Richmond people on Twitter, come at me. Yeah, just bring it, as The Rock used to say. What, what are your thoughts on it, Woody, before we move on to the next subject? Um, look, I, I tend to agree, but one thing I want to add to it as well, I think Hardwick come out and he, did, he, did he sort of make a call out to the Richmond fans not to show up to those games at Marvel? Well, what I think he did by complaining as <clears throat> is I think he did escalate the hatred for Marvel Stadium with a lot of supporters, not just Richmond. Because, yep. but that, um, that's counterproductive. Know, it's counter, because, totally counterproductive. Because what happens is he puts that in their mind and then the fans say, all right, well, we won't go to games to Marvel. So let's say Richmond play St Kilda. It's a St Kilda home game for example, at Marvel Stadium against Richmond, right? Yeah. Rich, Richmond fans don't show up out of spite. Yeah. Then the AFL say, well, why should we move the game to the MCG when you can't feel Marvel? Mm. Which is what they should say because that's what they say. Exactly right. Up. That's what I mean. So this, this call for them all, we just won't show up to games at Marvel, mm. is actually counterproductive to the point you're trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And if you and if you listen to um, if you listen well, obviously you read social media, um, and if you listen to radio, so many people, not Richmond people, Richmond people, and everybody else, <clears throat> were ringing up, bagging Marvel. It's this. It's that. It's sterile. It's got no atmosphere. It's you know. It's cold. It's you know. And I was just sitting there shaking my head, thinking, this is a, this is a stadium that has existed since, what, 2000, I think. And, you know, yeah, it's not the greatest stadium in the country. Of course it's not. But, you know, because one man has, you know, made such a big deal about it, now everyone's onto it. I hate it, I, you know, this, that. So all it's going to do is keep people away from Marvel. No one's going to want to go because of, of that sentiment. 
And Richmond people are going to now lobby to not have games at Marvel Stadium, which is counterproductive and also insulting to the other clubs that have to give up their home game, like Collingwood. They play at Marvel too. They have to give up a home game. I mean, how many home games, sorry, let me rephrase, how many games at the MCG do these these MCG tenants want? They get between 14 and 17 a year, and that's not even including finals. So it just gets under my boat that, you know, they get so many. Two two things on Marvel, right? I personally prefer watching the football at Marvel because the view I get versus the MCG, all right? I I know the surface is a different issue, but as far as a spectator, Mm -hmm. I believe you cannot get a better view of AFL football than at Marvel. Even if you're viewing experience at Marvel is better than the MCG. Correct. If you're in the top tier, the nosebleeds at Marvel is a lot better than the nosebleeds Correct. at the MCG. And if you happen to be lucky enough to have the um, Medallion Club tickets, you've probably got the perfect seat to watch football. Yeah, in, look, in Marvel. Fence. I don't. I don't have a problem with the experience at Marvel, except the song, the the music between goals. Get rid of it. No good. Um, I, you know, I'll watch. But then again. I'll watch footy anywhere. I'm yeah, that that's right. I'm that type of supporter. But, look, the, I mean, he just didn't send out a good message and you could tell that the very next day he backtracked from it because, obviously, you know, the club and the media department said, you know, hey, you know, pull this one in because it's not going to work for us as a club. It's not going to do us any favours because they got, look, there was 18,000 there and what seventeen thousand of them would have been mm. Richmond supporters, and they've apparently got a hundred thousand members. Turn up to the football Richmond supporters wherever it may be. Well, my other point is, coaches get please explains for some ridiculous things. This actually potentially, even though it's a you know, he's playing games, could have an impact on other clubs that are Melbourne based to play out of there. So my thing is, where's Gil the deal with the old please explain? Well, see, this is what comes back to, you know, Clarks and Hardwick. You know, they seem to have, they seem to have the powers to, to change rules and they just seem to have more, more power than any other coaches across the league, you know. Um, I've, I've heard Luke Beveridge complain about certain things and his voice just doesn't seem to get heard, does it? So why does theirs? It's it's just we've just got to be careful because, you know, coaching has changed the game and we're now trying to change rules to change it back. So we just need to be careful with how much power we're giving giving them. We we, We don't want to lose what's so great about our game and as we've seen from the tribunal tonight, we have. We've already lost it. Exactly. Yeah, I just want to make two points before we move on to the next subject. First of all, with Eddie Maguire gone now, do you think Damien Hardwick's trying to take over the mantra of whinging for the sake of it and have his club in the spotlight all the time? Because that's what it seems like to me. Look, it seems to me like when things don't go Richmond's way, which which they've had a pretty good run for, what, four years with injury, you know, four, year, four years with success, <clears throat> Um, I just think when things don't go their way, you know, um, that's when the true colours come out. But 
they just need to rein it in a bit, be be a little bit, you know, um, have a bit more humility and get on with the job. So you had to play at Marvel. I mean, think of the West Coast Eagles. Every second week they've got to get on a plane, sit there for four hours, stay in a hotel, play a game of football and fly four hours back. I mean, they don't complain. And the other thing that I wanted to say in relation to MCG versus Marvel, now the one thing that Marvel's definitely got over it, the MCG, is the convenience for the fans outside of Melbourne. Correct. Mm. And you can't yeah. you can't beat and that's why like myself and Tim, we're an hour away, bit a bit over an hour away, you know, about an hour and a half on the train. But the train stops right at the stadium. Yep. And and there's just as many fans <coughs> in regional Victoria as there are in Melbourne. Yep. So it's so and much more convenient. They're often forgotten about too. And Sorry? They're often forgotten about yep. too. And that's, that's the perfect for us, for me and Tim, being where we are. Yeah. That's one thing that Marvel's really good for because you go to the MCG, you've got to jump on a couple of different trains or whatever, or you've got to drive down and the traffic can be horrendous. Um, but Marvel, you, you're stopping right at the gate. Yep. And, the other thing- that, and that brings brings the more fans <clears throat> to the game. You, I reckon you'd get more regional fans to Marvel than you would to the MCG. And as you said, Mel, they get forgotten about. And it's one thing that the AFL takes for granted, I think. But yep. can I just also say, guys, so I also, I, I'll just say this, but then I've got a question for you both. So I went to the Collingwood um, Port Adelaide game. I think there was about 24,000 from all reports that were there, including yep. one me. And um, that's, that's Collingwood, who have a very strong supporter base. That's their home ground, playing a premiership contender. 24,000 people. I mean... What's going on? Why aren't people turning up to the football? And the other thing is the heat between those two clubs in the last few yeah. weeks, you'd expect more than 24,000. Well, look, you know how I feel about that situation. Um, but, yeah, I I couldn't. I was shocked myself because, you know, Collingwood supporters usually, they're even better, um, you'd say, than Richmond supporters. They turn up, you know, even like Carlton supporters, Essendon supporters, their teams have been on the bottom of the ladder. They turn up to the football. Where is everyone? Probably where they're going to be this week if uh, the way it's playing out in Melbourne goes at home. Well, that yeah, that's another that's an, you know another situation. But I did want to ask you both. So, being um, supporters of clubs that that um, are tenants of Marvel. Um, so Tim St Kilda, you're a full, your clubs are full tenant of Marvel and as Carlton split their games between the MCG and Marvel, do you find that the comments from Hardwick would offend your club and your club's hierarchy with their sell on Marvel to their supporters and members, seat holders? If I was um, St Kilda and we play Richmond at um, Marvel, like I think we did earlier on, and after Hardwick saying that, we had a poor crowd. 
Yeah. I would think seriously about um, taking uh, civil action against Harwick. Well, surely a letter or a phone call. Mm. <clears throat> I would, I would w- want to throw something at him and, and put some blame his way. This just goes back to what I said before. Hardwick has just made – Eddie Maguire always made everything about Collingwood and now Hardwick's trying to make everything about Richmond. But Eddie Maguire had every right to make everything about Collingwood because he is the Collingwood president. He is the top head of the pyramid. Hardwick's a coach. Coach yep. players. You're doing a damn good job. Leave it at that. He shouldn't get involved in these sort of things. And I know that Chris Scott does as well, but we have a legitimate argument. We don't get home games, as in 11. We don't even meet the quota. So I just think that, you know, if I was St Kilda or, or, or Footscray or, or Carlton, who's an actual tenant of Marvel, I would find it offensive that you're bagging our home. That's our home. That's that's where our members congregate. That's where we celebrate our team every weekend. And you've just offended it and almost told people not to turn up to Marvel. It's completely a ridiculous comment from him in the first place when you consider the amount of money the AFL lost last year because of COVID. Absolutely. And he's encouraging people not to turn up to the, and I'm going to drop the F-bomb, he's encouraging people not to fucking turn up to a game that'll generate money for other clubs. I would throw the book at him if I was the AFL, and I'm sorry I'm, that I dropped I'm it. I'm amazed that he didn't get a please explain because, you know, we remember a couple of weeks, like, you know, at the start of the season, Geelong played Brisbane and, you know, there was a little bit of an altercation between Lockie Neal and Chris Scott and, oh, the world lost their minds over it, you know. But that sort of thing doesn't, doesn't cost revenue. It doesn't offend rival clubs home grounds and this isn't the first time Hardwick's offended Cadinia Park saying he'll never play there again I mean you can't call the shots you play where you're told to play now they're just lucky enough that they they're exempt from playing at Cadinia Park and Tasmania and wherever else but you know I just think it's so wrong and my minute has now gone on for a very long time well I was just about to say that I said and and that was Mal's minute apparently <laughs> that was Mal's um, 48 minutes um, we'll now we'll now move on to um, a topic which probably flows off it nicely coaches under the pump <laughs> now Softwick may not be under the pump but there are a couple Woody throw it um, at us mate well, the obvious two are Buckley and Clarkson, but I think if we're being honest, those two probably were under the pump before the season started, wouldn't you have thought, given that Eddie had left Collingwood, so his safety blanket was gone. And, um, yeah, we all, all assumed that Hawthorne might be in for a bit of a lean year, um, which would have put pressure on Clarkson as well. Um, but I think they're probably the two... Mm-mm. Well, they're probably the only two. Is there anyone else that would be really under the pump at the moment? Uh, Ratton's, and, Ratton's safe. If Ratton's sort of up and down. Yeah, Ratton's safe, but I don't think um, he's really going to be under the pump. No. Um, <laughs> and I think every other team's probably going well enough, aren't they? Yeah. Stuart Jew, Stuart Jew, Cold Coast have shown enough at times, <laughs> but their inconsistency's always been an issue. Adelaide, especially after the win against Melbourne. Like Nick's wouldn't have been under pressure anyway, being his first. Oh, he's first. taking houses. So but um, yeah, so there's re- they're really the only two I would have thought. Um, I'll, I'll put it to you David this way, Dave, Woody. 
David Noble's definitely not going to be under any pressure nah. because North, Mel- North Melbourne are exactly where everyone thought they would be. I'll put it to you this way, uh, Woody. I reckon there's been numerous times this season where Bucks has wishes he wishes he had been hitting a tennis ball with Felicia Mollick again because he, he would have wanted to be anywhere bar the coach's box. No, that's right. And look, the, the big thing too with Buckley is um, when he tried to put Darcy Moore forward. Um, you, got, you got one of the best to, well, I'm not going to say best defenders. He's not really a one-on-one defender mm. or whatever, but one of the best players in the league at doing what they do and you move him out of position and um, your team's worse for it and you persist with it for a few weeks. Um, and then it seems like he only moved him back when, when there was too much pressure on him to, to change it. Um, well, that, that's, that's, that was more the issue for mine was that when there was public outcry, he moved, he moved him back. I mean, but look, the- I, don't, I don't have a problem that he tried it. Geelong have tried it, you know, in the past with Harry Taylor and it worked. But would Geelong would Geelong trying it when they were struggling and and yeah. um, Harry and Taylor was their linchpin down back? Right. They exactly weren't. That's, we, that's that's completely different scenario to what Collingwood was at yeah. when Buckley did it. And that's the that's the problem is that he's got he's got one of the best defenders in the league. Um, a player certainly other clubs would jump at if if given the chance, uh, and he moves him forward. It it was baffling. He just outsmarted himself, really, didn't he? He tried to, he yeah. tried to be clever, but he just looked stupid. But I mean, no surprises here, guys. I don't agree with either of you. I, I just believe that they're both safe. I believe that Clarkson is in a position at. Okay, Port- I'm going to put something to you here, Mel. Okay, do. Oh, oh yeah, I want to put something to you now. We're we're constantly told that. Alistair Clarkson is one of the best coaches of this era, if not of all time, right? Yeah. Now, what I want to say to you is, has is he really that good a coach or was he just blessed with a quality list and generational talent? Because it seems to me the longer he's been there and the further remo- removes we get from Hodge, Franklin, Roughhead, Lewis, Mitchell, these sorts of guys, the worse they're getting. Now, if he was as good a coach as we're led to believe... I think they'd be in a better position than they are. Because I think you learn more about a coach with a bad team than you do um, with a coach with a good team. And now that that the team and the list isn't as good, I think we can see he's struggling. Look, I I agree with you there, and I think you can do a comparison almost with Chris Scott and and Clarkson in the sense that they've both both regenerated their teams because they've lost... They've lost but their... Um, Chris Scott. Now, I never rated Chris Scott as a coach, but he's done much better. See, Hawthorne and Geelong have gone down both a very similar recruiting path. That's and they're at, com- at. they're at completely different ends of the spectrum. Now, I, ne- I always thought Clarkson was a good coach and Scott wasn't. Now I've flipped. If you look at where Geelong is, I didn't expect them to be, to be this good still. I didn't expect them to be this good still. And you look at the stuff that that um, Scott's doing, and there's not, there's still not too many guys on that Geelong list that jump out you and say, "Yes, this bloke's a superstar." But Chris Scott is finding the best place for them, where they compete and where they perform and contribute to the team, and they're still a top four side. 
And this that's is all that's all on the coach. And I think a lot of people overlook that. Oh, and and our own as I mean you'll see me defending him on social media um pretty fiercely because even our own, you know, if, if we lose, you know, that Chris Scott, he hasn't done the job, blah, blah, blah. But we've discussed this before. Success is not measured completely by premierships. You can't you can't equate total success to a premiership. If you finish in contention, if you finish a grand finalist, um, that's a successful year. And Geelong have been successful for that long now. It's not even funny. Yet we've had we've lost our, our premiership stars, just like Hawthorne had. So I completely get your point. And that's um, my point. You've lost just as many stars as Hawthorne has, yet are still at the pointy end of the the ladder. Now, we look back the last probably 15 years, the best three sides have been Sydney, Hawthorne and Geelong. Only one of them has remained a contender for 15 years. And this takes me to to Sydney, who I know we're not talking about here, but John Longmire and the system that he's done, and I remember our very first episode where we did our predictions for the year, I said to you guys... Sydney have the best system in the league and they had injuries last season. They've got those back on board. They've recruited extremely well. They do get a bit of help with NGAs, but we won't go there. Um, and look where they are. They, they are competing for a possible or probable top four position, which is outstanding. They've come from 16. So, um you know, if we're talking about coaches that don't have the best lists and their coaching prowess comes to the fore, we're talking John Longmire, are we not? No, I, I still expect them to fall away in the later half of the year just I because... I they'll struggle at times because they've got a young They've list got a young and, list and that's and going young, to happen. Yeah, young players are inconsistent because of many reasons. And I think by the time we get to around 14 or 15, um, we'll see them really fade away and they... I still suspect they'll probably only win one or two of their last eight or so games because of that wow. reason. But, um, yeah, you look at where they are now, mm. um, and I think, yeah, I disagreed with you at the start of the year about Longmire. Um, but, yeah, maybe, maybe that is down to coaching. It's def- well, I believe it's definitely down to coaching and also their system. But... Um, I do, getting back to Clarkson, I just think he, he, he is in a rebuild and unless he wishes to exit Hawthorne, I think he'll stay there. I think, I think it's definitely a, um, a Clarkson decision and whether they're grooming Mitchell behind the scenes, we don't know. That could be on the cards and there could be like a handover style um, you know, a la Paul Roos kind of thing that, you know, went down at Melbourne. So maybe that's what's happening there. But with Buckley, I think he's doing the right things. He's playing the kids. That's what Collingwood, that's what Collingwood people want him to do. They want him to play the kids. They want him to develop the kid. He's, he's doing that. But when you do that, you lose, you can lose games because you're playing kids. You're playing kids, you know, fresh into an AFL system. So calling for his head could be a little 
premature. I think they've got bigger issues at Collingwood, clearly off-field issues. They've seemed to have lost complete control of, of their direction. They've lost the, the support of their members, clearly. And now they're heading to an EGM. I mean, this is dire straits for a powerhouse like Collingwood. And I think that is a bigger issue than, than, um, than Buckley. And also, who's better than Buckley? That's available. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the point too. And we've gone from in a space of 15 minutes from agreeing to disagreeing again. So we're back on track. Hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I haven't had my disagreement yet. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> I, might, I just might walk out now. <laughs> yeah. Now, look, I think you've provided some valid points around um, Buckley and Clarkson. However, I think you're underselling the power that Jeff Kennett has at Hawthorne. And he is in the past, not being a fan of Clarkson, right? I don't agree with you at all around Clarkson will make the decision when Clarkson goes. I actually think Jeff will push him. Okay. That's just my, my opinion. I just don't I, – I just reckon Jeff – he holds grudges. Let's be honest. He's a politician. He holds grudges. Um, and I just personally believe that um, come the season's end, because I think what Clarkson's got next year and that's it. Is that right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. I wouldn't mind betting that they'll part ways and it'll be because Jess pushed him. I mean, look, you could be right. He's a, look, he's a powerful... Correct. Teacher. Um, you know, he, he does seem to get what he wants and he does... Look, he does make the, you know, the headlines, doesn't he, Jeff Kennedy? Still does. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, look, you could be you could be right. It's just an opinion of mine that... Oh, know, yeah, no, I when get you, that. When you've, got a co- when you've got a coach that has won that many premierships and brought that much success to your football club and he's working on a rebuild <laughs> at the moment, um, I, just, I, I just think that he kind of has the right to make the call. However... Um, yeah, you, you could be right, but I'm like, I'm more likely to think that there's a handover happening in the works that we're maybe not aware of. Yeah, look, that that's that's um, that's quite possible, but I, I think it'll come down to a battle of egos. And to be brutally honest, um, I, I just think the ego war will be won by Kennett, not um, Clarkson. Look, I'm not going to argue with you there because he is he is such a formidable figure um, at the football club. But, yeah, I still feel that Clarkson's pretty safe and I even feel Buckley safe, which, which I'm sure a lot of people don't agree with me on. Uh, look, I, I just think of the two, I could see Clarkson going, whether it be on his own devices or if Jeff pushes him, I just don't think he'll see out all of next year. It's just my opinion. And he Do you think he'll go somewhere else or you think he'll just walk away from I'm pre- I'm predicted I'm predicting Carlton will be silly enough to uh, look at him if he walks away and they'll be in, wrong. And they'll be in the same boat as what they are with the current guy. Um, yep. now move, moving forward, uh, our next point of discussion, which I think we alluded to a bit earlier on um, through Mel's Minutes of mayhem um, is goal kicking is a problem, and this is highlighted by the St Kilda Geelong game and the holding the ball. 
You're listening to the MPO Sports Podcast. This podcast is edited on Audacity, and I'd like to thank Zaggy too for providing the music. I hope you're enjoying the AFL special, and now I'll bring it back to Tim, Aaron, and Mel. Fire away, because I know you have a strong opinion on goal kicking. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. I don't think clubs, commentators, fans, whatever really value how important goal kicking is. It seems to be getting worse and worse every single year. And yet clubs just play at lip service. They don't address it. There's so many um what you just watch the commentators like when someone misses a a set shot from 20 meters out, 30 meters out right in front, they just brush it off. This is a fundamental skill. Mm. And a very basic skill of the game and the most important skill. And clubs and coaches don't pay it enough attention. Now, what I want, want to say is if you watch a game of footy, whether it's live or on TV, watch the guy taking the set shot. What he does, and he's ever since they've brought in this shot clock, he's focused on the shot clock, right? Which is wrong from the start. But the whole time that they're going through their run-up, they're looking up at the goal. Mm. Now, for me, shouldn't they be looking at the ball? Well, of course. But And yes. there was a couple on the weekend. I think it was in oh, – I can't even remember what game it was. But there was one of the guys. He's had a set shot. might have been St Kilda or Bulldogs. I can't remember. One of, it was, it was, yeah, it was just, I can't remember who that. the players were. And Aaron Norton's done it a couple of times this year, but the commentators laughed and said, oh, he's he's almost missed the ball completely. That's because he's dropped the ball and before he's kicked it, he's already looking up at the goal. Mm. If you're not looking at your foot, make contact with the ball, you're mm. not giving it a chance to go straight. Mm. And the other issue that they have is they all run on an arc. Now, when you kick the ball... Yeah. The ball is going to follow the direction you're running in. Mm. If you're running around on an arc, so if you're right-footed, most of them will swing around to the right. Yeah. And then you come back around to the left. So when you kick the ball, the ball's going to follow that arc, which yeah. means you're probably going to be kicking a point to the left-hand side of the goals. Yeah. Run in straight, look at the ball. Take your time. You've got 30 seconds. Forget looking up at the shot clock. Go to the top of your mark. Take your time lining up the goal. And as soon as you've lined up your goal, look at the ball and don't look up until after you've kicked it. It's the same as golf. If anyone's ever played golf, it's the same thing. You line up your shot and then from the moment you start your swing till after you hit the ball, you look at the ball. It's the same for goal kicking. Don't look at the target. Yeah, look at the object that you're actually making contact with. Yeah, I agree. Look, goal kicking should be better, especially especially at venues with a roof or in perfect weather. I mean, it's the old adage: bad kicking's bad football. It's as simple as that, really. How many teams? How many teams have cost themselves four points this year, last year, the oh, year before? Oh, I know because mine. they've kicked. They kick. There's. there's Half the teams every week kick more behinds than goals and teams don't address it. Yeah. It costs St Kilda against Geelong. Yeah. 
Yeah. And look, St Kilda like, should have been eight goals up at half time. But they kicked it. zero goals seven in the first quarter and they didn't get much better from there. And then last, uh, what game was it? Um, Collingwood. Who did they lose to on the weekend? Port. Um, they kicked four goals in the first quarter. I think that didn't they? They kicked four goals two in the first quarter or something like that. And then they kick one goal for the rest of the game. Oh no, that was that was the week before, sorry. But yeah, they kicked one goal ten after quarter time. Yeah. Um, but they just don't address it. And you'll see um, Max, Max King's Max King's an example as well. He's a horrible shot for goal. But He's how many times example, but can I just talk about Max King for a minute? Because I, I do think he's got he's definitely got the yips um, and he's definitely letting his, his team down with accuracy. However, if you watch um, the way he, you know, his um, technique, it's actually a good technique. So he, he can fix that. That's fixable and he's young enough for that to be fixed. It's when you don't have the right technique and you have to go back and reset that's the problem he doesn't have that problem so just in his defense that's that's the issue it's more more a confidence thing and probably rhythm we've got um we've gone to a, a a state of the game now where clubs value drafting young athletes over guys with actual football ability well i i agree with that and this is the thing too. There's a lot of key forwards that'll get drafted, and as happens, you know, the the head recruiter of the club will get asked about him, and they go, "Yep, he's he's a good size. He's got great athletic ability. He's got strong hands. We just need to work on his kicking." Now, if this guy's been playing footy since he's five and six years old, and he gets drafted at eighteen years old, and he doesn't know how to kick properly by then, you're probably going to struggle to teach him when he gets drafted. I think though you need to be careful when you say that clubs don't work on it because I've been to enough training sessions to know that they spend a lot of time. Well, that makes it even worse. And if they're spending that much time on it, how can it be getting worse year after year? Well, I mean, I think it's, I don't know, it's difficult to say because even some of the same sides so we're talk, let's say it's St Kilda, for example, like, you know, Tim would know better than anyone that, you know, St Kilda has had a, a, a bad season purely based on their goal kicking. And then the next season they turned that, that around. They straightened up and they got themselves into the finals. So it, I don't know that you, can, that you can say it's a skill thing. Maybe it's more a, a mental thing. I don't, I don't know where we're at with goal kicking, but you're right. It's definitely something that, you know, we're seeing guys from 40 metres out with tremendous ability missing goals and just, you know, you just shake your head and think, God, I could, you know, I could kick that. Like, so I understand there is that frustration there and, you know, score lines are certainly suggesting that as well. I mean, we, you know, we've seen games of football where clubs are kicking 17 points a game. What's with that? And a big a big thing too is a lot of players don't guide the ball down to their foot. They just drop the bloody thing and you don't get consistency on which part of the foot it's going to hit. That's because they're not watching the ball. They're looking up at the goals. 
It should be even easier for a forward these days because they've got a man on the mark that can't move. Can't move. So you think it would be easier. I mean, I have, you know, we have seen the odd defender doing it, you know, strange things to distract them by still standing in the same position. But, I mean, ultimately it should be easier for a forward to kick goals when they're, when the man on the mark is just, you know, stationary. Does the soft cap have an effect on it? Do they not? Um, do some clubs just not employ someone to work on the goal kicking of the players? Well, I, I find that from what I see, a lot of other players are working with players to help them. So are you getting goals. people with poor <laughs> techniques kicking others? Is that an issue as well? <laughs> well, no. Well, that's not the plan, obviously. But oh, It's um, not the plan, but if they're – because as Tim said, there's – and especially with all the COVID stuff, as you know, clubs have had to cut back. Yeah. Oh, they um, have, and football departments have been hit, hit pretty exactly. hard, and they have to choose between, you know, a exactly right. So, if a lot of them don't have the opportunity, if yeah. a lot of them don't have the opportunity to bring in a goal kicking coach, um, you could having you, the best kick in your team still might not be a good overall kick, and he's trying to teach other guys how to it kick the ball when he's fought himself. Instinct. If you're a very good kick, so you're a Tom Hawkins, you're a very good kick, that's in sometimes it's in. It's just you know, it's it's ingrained in you, so it's not it's not something that maybe you can pass on that well because you do it all by instinct. If you understand what I mean, but you you can still watch video of his technique and whatever, and then yeah. and then play. And but then on someone someone, someone might be a natural goal kicker, which is fine, but you can watch the video of them and then teach the other guys that technique. Surely, but the big thing for me is. Guys just aren't looking at the ball when they kick it. Yeah. But I also think, you know, how they're kicking it around their body, um, you know, that's that's new as well a little bit, isn't it? You know, people aren't just taking a straight set shot anymore. Yeah. Well, look I, at Harry McKay. Mm. There's only one guy yeah. that they should be watching kick a set shot on video, and that's Plugger. Plugger Lockett. That's Plugger. It's bottom line. That's the only guy. Dunstall had had an all right technique himself. Um, he had an inferior technique compared to Plugger. Oh, it was still better than just about every player getting around today. Still inferior to Plugger. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about him. All right. Um, the other one was holding the ball, which we sort of flirted with, and this was actually driven by the Geelong St Kilda game when we wrote this down on our run no, sheet. No, 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 Tim. This was driven again by the Wingy Winey Hardwick. Because he <clears throat> wants to get rid of prior opportunity. Have you heard oh, of anything so wow. daft in your life? Well, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll um, let you in on a little secret here, Mel. <laughs> Tim's been banging that same drum for about 12 months at least. Oh, Tim. Because the, 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 my reason for the prior opportunity being gone, right, oh, is God. you're encouraging players just because they haven't, got, they haven't had prior opportunity to get rid of the ball illegally. No, no, no. You're letting them off. You're letting them off because they've had, they've had no prior. Okay. For me, for okay. me, it's pretty simple. Yes, you have the prior opportunity. But the thing that annoys me the most is how many times does a ball spill out in a tackle and they call play on? How many times does a player attempt to handball or attempt to kick and not make contact and it's called play on and the umpires say he made an attempt? An attempt is not good enough. If it doesn't touch your fist and it doesn't touch your foot, that is incorrect disposal. 
Okay, so we're talking about two different things now because there's the prior opportunity and incorrect dis disposal, which is where the disconnect is. So you've got, so the prior opportunity interpretation like seems to be the issue, but you must give the player going for the football an opportunity to get rid of it initially. So I guess the interpretation is how long is that? How long do you wait for them to have that prior opportunity to get rid of it? And that's but, the problem because each umpire has their own determination. Exactly. It's too subjective. It's, it's way too grey. Hence, get rid of it. It's not black and white. You can't get rid Tim, you can't get rid of it because the tackler can't expect to be immediately rewarded unless the player with the ball can't dispose of it quickly enough or correctly. Or, or but that's the problem. Enough. You, you have give... to report the person going for the football or the player won't go for the football. And but, that's what I was going to say. If there's a ground ball, if there's a ball in dispute on the ground and you've got rid of prior opportunity, mm -hmm. neither of them are going to pick it up. But they use prior <laughs> opportunity as an excuse to not give a free kick for incorrect disposal. No. Yep. See, I've, I've got no issues with the prior opportunity. As I said, my you issue with is the ball, if the ball doesn't matter where you've had prior opportunity on, if the ball does not make contact with your fist Bingo. or your foot, then that is holding the ball. Maybe it's that people aren't tackling properly. Um, all right. So the game that made, us actually, made me actually put this on the run sheet, there was 87 tackles laid and yes, three holding the balls. Now, can you tell me that there was eighty-four that weren't holding the ball? I'm, I'm not, not saying I'm not saying all eighty-four should have been, but can you tell me eighty-four no. that weren't? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I look. I didn't like his comments at the end of the game because you know how I feel. I don't like blaming umpires, but I get. He was asked I, a question. He didn't just comment. Absolutely no. I'm not. I'm not disputing that. I can't yeah. remember how he came about to say what he said, but. Um, <clears throat> I, just, I, I get that in every game, and not just the St Kilda Geelong game, every game there's going to be holding the ball decisions that are missed or paid that shouldn't have been paid. It's been going on forever and it will continue to go on, basically because of what Aaron said before. It's, it's too subjective. It's not a black and white decision. It's a grey interpretation. And one umpire at one end is going to interpret it very differently to a, um, another umpire at the other end. So I think the question is you, can, you definitely can't get rid of the prior opportunity. That is a, that's an absolute given. You cannot. But you have to also, I think, work out how long, is, how long before a player gets rid of it correctly or incorrectly, before you reward or um, penalise a player. All right, here's one for you. How can 3.4% um, of your tackles only be holding the ball when you've um, laid 87 tackles? Again, there would have been some missed. However, maybe some of those tackles weren't, weren't good enough tackles. I mean, 
Exactly um, right. You can't just look at a sheet and say why, why, why. Yeah, you have surely, to watch the game the and judge argument. each, each incident on its own. That, uh, you know, he's had 50 possessions <clears> a game. You know, maybe out of those 50 possessions, 15 of them were effective. Let, let's mean, not let's not pretend that um, there was at least half a dozen that were clearly holding the ball that were let go and all in the chain of one play. I think I think though that you're looking at it from a lens of a fan that is disgruntled that some of the, some of of your tackles weren't paid holding the ball. Where I'm talking about a Woody remembers the the minute or so of play where there was yeah. three or four about twenty seconds of play where they missed four of them in a row and they were all. Because the, the player's being tackled, he's swung a foot or a fist at it and missed, and it's fine. That's the stuff. And whether, you, whether you've got prior opportunity or not, if the ball spills out or you've not got rid of it legally, then the free kick should be paid, regardless of prior opportunity. If you're, in conge- if you're in congestion and it's almost it's basically a stoppage, there's that many people around the ball and that many arms around players and the ball spills, That's all. that also can't be holding the ball. No, These I think were... it can be because if you've taken possession of it, if you've, ta- <clears throat> if you've had the, the had time to make the decision to take possession of it, you should have also, you should have also be one step ahead and find out what you're going to do with it. You can't get the ball and then stop and think, what am I going to do with it? You should know where you're going to go with it. That that you guys are speaking of, and I know the ones you're talking about, Selwood and Rowan, you, they, you can't also say, oh, they happen all so quickly, all in, all in a sequence, but they were all incorrect disposal. It were, they were basically all in a scrimmage. There was that many players around the ball. I'm not saying they weren't missed. There was a couple that looked like throws. Um, but as for your suggestion that, you know, oh, because there was 80, 84 tackles 87. laid, 87 tackles laid and you only got so many holding balls, well, to me, that, I, that doesn't really equate. Which- what a now, I haven't read the AFL rule book in a long time, but where does it say a certain percentage of your tackles well, have to be rewarded? My, you're yeah. missing my point. My point is, Laura averages, if you lay 87 tackles, you would probably presume that more than three would be holding the ball. I'm not saying they should be 87 holding the balls by any means. My point is, it was terribly umpired as far as tackling goes that game. Just because... umpiring as a whole, though, and Mel said before she's not into, which I agree with, she's not into blaming umpires for anything. No, or whatever. they weren't. The re- just they weren't the problem for the result. Goes on about this stuff all the time. Well, no, no, don't no get that's me wrong. Right. I get, I get as frustrated as the next person. Look, um, umpires get think, decisions wrong. Let's I, not. I let's don't not... think games, uh, results of games, are because of umpires. No, they're not. But um, yeah. But anyway, umpires get things wrong. What we were but, talking um, about was yeah. Let's not was the prior opportunity whether it should exist or not exist and it definitely it's it's got to exist i think it's an absolute you know what you're clearly on two different sides of the fence here but i'm actually on on the fence with this i i I see merit in both of them 
You can't sit on the fence. No, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, no, look, as, as far as I'm concerned, if they can't make the prior opportunity work, I'm actually with Softwick on that one. So, what? So okay, so we don't have prior opportunity. How's it work? Run me through it. Like it used to before you had before they introduced prior opportunity. So that's that's the thing too, and this is why I think the AFL will look at it because if there's no prior opportunity, that means if you get tackled, that means there's no stoppages. There's no stoppages either. That's right, and that's what the AFL want. They'd rather have free kicks over Mm -hmm. stoppages. So I think. That's probably something that they would be looking at anyway. I don't necessarily agree with the thing that we can't have stoppages, but I see I see both sides of this argument. I'd probably lean towards the same side you're on, Mel, but I can definitely see why the other side has merit. Well, pro- before prior anyway, opportunity... You moving used to, on. <laughs> I was just going to say, just to finish it off, just before prior opportunity came in, you're given a you know a certain amount of time inside the tackle to get rid of the ball, right? Which was almost a form of prior opportunity anyway. Why did they have to bring in a rule to be prior opportunity? Why well, not just keep so umpiring the way they were? So you've just contradicted yourself. It's a paradox in terms. It's essentially the same, it's <laughs> no. essentially the same thing. No, because they used to give them like one or two seconds once the tackle lays on. After that, if you and haven't disposed of it, boom. If you listened to me, Timmy... I said to you that the prior opportunity needs to exist, but they have to get they have to have the prior opportunity to get rid of it initially. But the interpretation is how long is that? So well, that's, that's what, what that's, that's what, what's blurred. And that's what so I'm is saying. It, get is rid it of one it the way it is. Or go two back, steps is it whatever. Yeah, go back to the way it was before they brought it in. They were subconsciously allowing them a couple of seconds to get rid of the ball anyway. So why'd they have to bring it in? Simple. This is good. We started off agreeing with each other and now we're disagreeing. This anyway. Um, so we've agreed, now we're kind of agreeing again, but we're just changing the name of it. <laughs> anyway, moving on, we have the captain's challenge that Woody wanted to mention. Now, there's been a lot of talk, and Joel Salwood mentioned this as well about bringing in a captain's challenge. Now, we all know that umpiring has been bad. And I think players and fans need to realise they can't control the umpiring, so forget about it. Now, a captain's challenge, it works in certain other sports because it's not as fast-paced as our game. Now, if if we bring in a captain's challenge, how many do they have? A half, a quarter, whatever. Um... Bad decisions are part of the game. That's just the way it is. And you know what? If every if we got every single decision correct, we wouldn't be able to have these sorts of discussions. And what we've found out too with the AFL, with the um, goal review, they can't even get that right. So how would they get a captain's challenge right? And especially as we've already touched on, if you want to challenge a holding the ball decision, well, prior opportunity is too subjective. So you can't do that. So I just think captain's challenge is a ridiculous idea and let's just forget about it and move on. I actually believe what we should have is each coach should have a button, right? Every player, not player, sorry, every umpire should be wired up like the guys on Big Brother last night. 
and press it to give him an electric shock to let him know they've done the wrong thing. Anyway. <laughs> Where no, do you sit on this one, I... Mel? Okay, so we know how I feel about Joel Selwood, but it's a no <clears throat> for me. It opens a can of worms. Where does it end? It's exactly right. It's and, and our game is too fast paced to introduce it. Yeah. And, and and let's look at it. So you want to you want to challenge a decision, right? Sometimes the ball doesn't go out of play or the game doesn't stop for five consecutive minutes. So what, what you're just going to stop the game at random moments to, no, to check something that may or may not have been there? Are they just talking about things like, you know, the Adelaide-Melbourne game, right, that last decision? or you know, or But that, the, that's still subjective, the, though. The Sydney-Geelong game, that last decision. Like, are they, the, are they the sort of things that the captain challenges or can we just challenge every decision? The, the well, well, that's the thing too. The and and, and I'll, I'll want to revert back to the... Sitting, we'll all be sitting there till midnight going, you know. Welcome to 24 hours straight of <laughs> St Kilda versus Geelong. Oh, goodness. That's what it'd be like, though. Yeah, I just want to... You I just want to refer back a little bit to the goal-kicking thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go back to the goal-kicking thing where I said we don't really hold players accountable enough for poor mm. skills, right? So the players are full-time professionals, are they not? Yes, they are. The umpires do this in their spare time. They've got other jobs, correct? Yes. The so umpires are, are paid we enough, holding to be umpires? honest. But that's the thing. Why are we holding part-time umpires to a higher standard when it goes to them executing their skill set than we are a full-time professional footballers at executing their skills? Well, I mean, I think that's just the, the way of the world because of the adulation that people and the affection that people have for their, yep. you know, for their players and their clubs. But you know, and we're all—it's all ingrained in us to you know hate the men in white or yellow or blue or whatever colour they wear these days. But at the end of the day, you know, overall, they do a good job. We can't change The thing is we can't change it. Whatever decision they make, whether we like it or not, and from one week to the next it changes, one week we're crying, the next week we're laughing, depending on an umpiring decision. It's been the law of the land in AFL footy for as long as I've been alive. So... You know, a captain's challenge, it's it's just gonna it's gonna be diabolical. Could you imagine? Where where does it you're end? Gonna have, you're where gonna does have it some end? Ca- you're gonna have some captains that have great character and great honesty and you know, they're probably not gonna gonna challenge at all or challenge the ones that are, you know, blatantly obvious. Then you're gonna have captains that are gonna go, Oh, well, I'll try my luck here and where's it end? Yeah, gamesmanship comes that, in as that a factor, goes doesn't back, it? Yeah. <clears throat> That's right. That just goes back to what I said before. We're expecting perfection from the umpires. Yeah. We never get it. We're, so, but we're ex- expecting perfection <clears throat> from the umpires, but we're accepting amateur skills from the players. So yeah, from my perspective, like a lot, of, a lot of people out there, they like to blame umpires for losses. You can't control what the umpires do. The players can't control what the umpires do. The coaches can't. The coaches and the players are the ones that determine the outcomes. And if they lifted their skill level, the umpiring decisions would become... If you're good enough to win a game, you won't be relying on an umpire to make a last-minute decision decision to go your way. If you're good enough to win, you'll win. 
It's kind so, of like it's kind of like when you get to the end of the season and you're relying on percentage or you're relying on another club to lose or win yeah. so that you make the eight. If you were yeah. good enough, you would have made the eight. That's right. Players make mistakes. Coaches make mistakes. Umpires yeah. make mistakes. This game is too fast-paced and there's too many variables to have a captain's challenge. Yeah, I yep. agree. Uh, look, I, I agree. And just on the... We all agree. Yay. Yay. <laughs> but ju- just on the um, semi-professional side of things with the umpire in the AFL, there seems to be a problem across the board in professional sport in Australia about umpires only being semi-professional too. Like, look at the A League, but that—that's probably an issue in itself. Yeah, that's what I'm that's saying. That's an issue in itself, but that's—that's that's that another not, topic for another gonna, day potentially. We're not going to fix post-COVID. Come, you know, no, that's right. But also, yep. what are they going to do from nine till five? Yeah, that's right. Watch it's, videos. It's not, of, it's not actually watch videos viable. of their mistakes. Yeah, well. well Ideally, okay. ideally they could, but this is an ideal situation that we're in now. We've got to be realistic about it. All I want them to do is practice bouncing the football so oh. that we don't lose the unique bounce of the football yep. that we all enjoy yep. and deserve to watch. Like I said, goal kicking is the most basic skill a player can have and bouncing the ball is the most basic skill an umpire can have. So they should both well, work on getting on them SCN, right. I, I heard on SEN, um, maybe it was last week, and I think it was Malcolm Blight that said, "Why do we, why do we pull up, why do we pull up umpires when they bounce the ball and it gives an adva- a slight advantage to one team and not the other team? That sort of thing. We pull it back and we get them to throw it up. At the end of the day, it's it, it, we know the shape of our." Ball, and that's that's what is so unique about our game is the bounce of it. You never know where, which way it's going to bounce. So when the, the umpire does bounce the, the ball in the centre square and it does give an advantage to one side or another, that's just the that's just the bounce of the ball. That's the uniqueness of the game. I mean, should we even be pulling it back? Well, that's a good that point too. That's um, a good point too. But we this... definitely shouldn't be getting rid of the bounce of the ball. There's not too many traditions left in the game. Yeah. Let, let's keep the ones we've got. Exactly. What's next? Uh, the, the final discussion point, which I don't believe will go through every team, but maybe let's just look at a few, is the uh, mid-season draft and what teams really require. Because there's been quite a few um Bits in the media about you know some Melbourne clubs tried to talk to Aaron Sanderlands and another Melbourne club spoken no, and so on. So, so do we? Do we probably just all? No, we <laughs> do we just all want to be a bit self indulgent here and just maybe go through what we think our own <laughs> club needs? Well, my club doesn't have a pick, so. No, in in an ideal world, in an ideal world, um, in if, an if ideal world. If you I'll had one pick, on the, I'll have my say on the mid-season draft just quickly. Yep. I'm not a fan of it. I don't think we need it, and I don't think that it's utilised the way it was intended. But here we are. So let's let's go through it. Here, here's my thoughts on the mid-season draft. <laughs> if every single player that's eligible for the mid-season draft has already been looked over in at least one draft by all clubs. The mid-season draft 
guys is there for clubs that have a long-term injury or illness that they need to replace. That's not what it's being used for. Essentially, that's not what it's being used for, but that's essentially what it is, is, was implemented for. And so I and a couple of recruiters have discussed this and it's, it's, not, it's not being used the way it was intended. It's being embellished upon. So that's why I'm against it. But anyway, let's, let's, let's talk about some teams here. Just quickly, before, before we go on with that, you know what I'd love to see instead of a mid-season draft? Tell me. A mid-season trade period. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I might press my mute button before I get no, to No, We're, no. No one's on board with that? I'm completely oh, not on board with that. Oh, that, that's a terrific idea. Like, I, I want to go from um, yeah. being disgusted by, let's say, a player's ducking from another club and he comes over to St Kilda, and then all of a sudden I've got to embrace the fact that he plays for free kicks. Aaron, how's that, how's that Aaron, different from an end-of-season trade period? Same thing. You've got to switch your loyalties when club I'd have, players I'd have the same anyway. issue recruiting a player yep. that does that at the end of the season as well. I just, because I a, lot of people, Aaron, a lot of people will say, oh, but what about loyalty? What about loyalty? Let's not kid ourselves. Loyalty went out the window a long time ago. When this became a full-time professional sport... That's when loyalty left. Aaron, this is not the NBA or the NFL. This is the AFL. It's not even the EPL. Or the APL, who I'm not an expert on. But second to that, a mid-season trade will benefit the bigger clubs, the richer clubs. No, it's not because there's still a salary cap in place. It's not. No, it's a no from me. Absolutely. I don't even want to draft. So I definitely don't want to trade period. But there is some interesting things to talk about with this draft. So let's maybe have a chat about a few clubs. Let's start with St Kilda. What do they need? 22 players. <laughs> they don't have 22 picks. <laughs> How many picks have they got? They've got a few. Oh, not got, How many teams actually have a pick? Three picks. Many- how many teams got, have a pick? Sorry, St Kilda have got four picks. There you go. I knew we had a few. Um, their first pick is at pick seven. Now, if you want my advice, St Kilda, which I'm sure you don't, <laughs> but you guys need someone that can come in right now, senior side ready. That's who you should be looking for. Mm. Someone that but- can that can pull on the strip right now, walk into that side as if as if he was always in it and have an impact because... So if, there's, if there's one position they need to address, which is it? I think they need actually a bit of polish in the midfield. They've got too many inside players. I think so too, yep. And one guy that would, that's playing quite well for Frankston that was on St Kilda's list and is accumulating quality um, possessions in the VFL is Freeman. Yeah, he's going great guns at the moment. Mm. I'm so wondering. I had I had Freeman um, going to Melbourne, uh, maybe. Do they really need another midfielder? I look, maybe not. But um, I guess I just mean for for the affiliation. But he, you know, he probably won't 
last two. I think Melbourne's got pick 12. So he probably won't even last till, till then. I've got a sneaking suspicion St Kilda might roll the dice and bring him back. Well, they didn't get rid of him because he wasn't performing. They got rid oh. of him because he couldn't get on the park. Uh, yeah. His talent his talent was never in question, was it? And no. even when he was at Collingwood, <laughs> his talent was never in question. <clears throat> well, his, body, his body apparently is he's in full fitness at the moment. So, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, look, I probably got that one wrong. But, I mean, I didn't get it wrong in the sense that, you know, they do need someone that can walk right in. He could walk right in. Yeah. He, he he doesn't provide <clears throat> that polish that you're after, though, either, Tim. Probably not. No, but he's still a better kick than Crouch. Oh, but I probably am as well. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but but who, who on the, who, who's available on the draft that does have polish, though? Okay, can I, uh, uh, can I please answer this one? Yeah, go for <clears throat> it. So... Sydney have picked nine, and I think it's a no-brainer. In fact, just quietly, sorry, Sydney Sydney supporters, I think it's a gift. They'd be stupid not to sign Josh Green from the GWS Academy, so he's Tom Green's brother. Okay. So they won't get another opportunity to do so. So for mine, that's an absolute gift, no-brainer for Sydney. I think they'll take him. Thoughts? <clears throat> <laughs> no, well, that, that's that's the thing, and that's where you go back to um, what you said before that clubs aren't using it for its intended purpose. Exactly, it's gonna be it's gonna be picks like this where clubs will pick another player, another a player that's in another club's academy just so they can't get them at the end of well, the. Well, I mean, look, Sydney have access to that academy, you know, luckily for them, um, but because GWS, so you know, they don't have a pick, Sydney do. Why wouldn't they take it? Why wouldn't they take him? They'd be crazy not to. But yeah, this is this is what gets under my goat. This is what gets under you know some recruiters, you know, goat is because it's incorrect. This is not what we're what we should be using the mid-season draft for. It's not. Well, that's the same as with the the rookie list. That's been exploited too, hasn't it? Well, in a way, but definitely not as as badly as as this situation. I mean, you know, rookie rookies can be mature age and they can be and they can be kids. This draft is meant to be filling a filling a, a void that you've lost. Yeah. And that's not what definitely not what's happening. Well see, technically on that on that premise, St Kilda should be looking at a Ruckman because Marshall's down for who knows how long. I had a um, I had down that Brisbane will probably bolster their ruck and elevate Saxon Crozier, um, so I thought they might look at a ruck room. Don't know what your thoughts on that are. Uh, well, it's probably not the worst idea that they could have. Does Carlton have any picks? Uh, yep. So Carlton have picks yeah, we got five and. My recommendation is that they're looking for a kind of a swingman ruck forward and maybe <clears throat> a Ben Crocker type who's training with them currently. Tell you what, he's been playing really well in the um, VFL. Yeah, he has been. So I went with him. Yep, no, that's, that's where I was going to go to. He's, he's been in really good form in the VFL. Yeah. Um, so that would make the most sense to get him in. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, one of your fa- your who was it? Um, did I read correctly that Simpson or whatever his name is is nominating for the draft? The ex Carlton oh, player, Cade Simpson, said that yeah. he'd make himself available. Yep, but. I don't think there's going to be a market for him. No, I don't think so. Just either. depends on where a team's at, I guess. If they've got a pick and they're going to play finals, maybe you might be worth just having it just as an extra person for the final series. Mm. Look, that, that that would probably be his best best chance, but I don't think there's really a I club that would, would take waste. him on. Yeah, I just don't think you'd waste a pick, although some clubs have four, so like St Kilda have four, I think the Suns have four. You know, so maybe, yeah, maybe that's where... Would it, be would be yeah. very hard for me to see him running around in a different jumper, though. Yeah, that would hurt. I must say, St Kilda have a history of stuffing up picks, so they're going to stuff up four picks in the mid-season draft. <laughs> what about North Melbourne? I, um, For me, I'm thinking that North Melbourne need to just you know, stick with young guns. They're rebuilding, so stick with that. Don't sway off your yep. course. So, That's what I was going to say. I was going to say they just stick with what they've got. They're yeah. playing a lot of kids now. Yeah. Keep doing that because we, as we said before, they're in exactly the position that we thought they would be. Yeah. So and the only you- reason you need to go and get someone in the mid-season draft is, is if your season's taken a different trajectory than what was planned or expected. Yeah. And North start- Melbourne are poor, but they're expected to be very poor. So I don't think they need to deviate from from what their plan was. No. So their plan is that they're rebuilding. They're definitely, you know, um, stripping their skin and starting, you know, starting again. And this is where it comes back to why I hate the mid-season draft because you should wait to November to pick up these kids. But they've got an opportunity where they could pick up Mitch O'Neill, who's a um, All Australian. I actually think he's a. I think he's won All Australian under 18s twice. Um, but there's also a ruckman running around in Sandringham called Jacob Edwards that um, they may look at to. Um, to develop after Goldie. So, I mean, I could be so on the wrong track here. <laughs> but yeah. um, these, are, these are just thoughts that I've, I've come up with for some clubs. Yeah, but that's the thing with North Melbourne. We, they had a massive clean-out at the end of last season mm. for the reason of going down and resetting and going down yeah. the youth pass. Now, if you're getting a... If you're going to grab someone from the mid-season draft, they're generally someone that's been playing Sandful or Waffle or VFL or something, and they're probably going to be 21, 22 years old anyway, which mm. doesn't suit what they're trying to do right now. Exactly, which, again, I'll repeat, goes back to what the mid-season draft is not meant to be used for, but it will be. So yeah. there's no avoiding it. So, so let, have- let's get rid of the mid-season draft and bring in a trade period. No, 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 because... <laughs> Okay, let's stick to the let's stick to the the brief. Because um, <laughs> I just know <laughs> that doesn't work for me. There's no, there should be mid season nothing. Oh, look, ideally, yes, you you pick your list, and that's what you go with for the year. But I think if they're going to mix something up. It's the to the trade period in the middle of the season, but that's um it's already been knocked on the head by you two. 
Um, let's just rename the AFL the Australian Touch Football Rules League because you're not allowed to bump, you're not allowed to tackle, the game's screwed. And here we are worried about a mid-season draft or trade period. It's so- just, I mean, how, how fair is it, though, that at the end of... So you get battle, battle and bruised all year. You have retirees, you lose, you know, top-notch players. You get to the end of the year, you've got some list spots. You get to, you know, what is it, the November-December <coughs> draft you know, you you follow the strict procedures of, you know, if you finish first, then you'll pick 18 kind of thing. And then, of course, that gets pushed down because there's concessions and there's, you know, NGAs and all of that. So you end up getting, you know, pick 30, that sort of thing. So already that's a, that's a farce at the end of the year. And then you fill your list up, you do the right thing, and the mid-season draft comes along. And you don't. Some clubs don't even have a pick, and other clubs have four. I mean, you know. And then other clubs go like Sydney. Oh, cool. We can get we can get you know Tom Green's brother from the academy. No yeah. one else can get him. So sweet. Yeah. It's just unfair. No, it's I do. I do agree with that. For. Yeah. It's there for if you've unfortunately got a player that's done their knee. Cam Rayner and Brisbane go, okay, well, we want to pick up from Southport so-and-so to fill a mid-half forward role like Cam Rayner. That's what it's there for. I like to... to But you know what, though? You're saying that's what it's there for, but... Injuries are part of the game, so if if you get it, you should just have to cop them, Mike. I agree with you that it shouldn't even exist, but um, it does. And as with everything else, every time the AFL's tried to do something new, whether it be a new rule or whatever, mm. clubs always find a way to exploit it. Always, always, and this is and this is this will continue to the end of time. And even with these new rules that we've implemented to ease congestion and to um, kick more goals and have a free-flowing game, it it will be exploited. You're already seeing it. I'm already seeing men standing on the mark, not moving, and their teammate running behind them from each side to each side with their arms flapping in the air. So... It's the same thing. It's just someone else not on the mark doing the same thing that the man on the mark can do. Yep. So, was the I mean, um, mid-season draft brought in to um, be able to replace players that have got no heart? Because I still think St Kilda should get 22 <laughs> picks. <laughs> they don't have enough picks to do that. They've I know. Only got but four. I'm sure um, they could find four heartless guys in their best 22 and um, bring four in with hearts. My advice to St Kilda is, and I'll be really disappointed if they don't do it, is to get ready-made players that they can bring into their side so they can they can improve the expectation that the football community and especially their members have on them from last year where you finish in the finals looking like, you know, 2021 is going to be a great year for you to even go one step further. Mm. And, you know, they're, they're sitting in, what, 16th or something, 14th or 16th or something. So, you know, that's what they should be looking at. If they pick up a kid, I'll spew up. Mm. 
Have yep. I just had an hour's moment? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, oh, I agree. Look, it'll be interesting to see. Well, I reckon we've um, probably potentially caused some psychological pain to our listeners for the amount of time we've been talking. So I apologise in advance. <laughs> so it might be a good time for us to uh, hit the road and maybe come together again in a few weeks' time and record another um, dose of this disease that we call the MPO Sports Podcast AFL Edition. <laughs> anyway, um, I'd like to acknowledge that uh, Josh Watson will be working hard at editing this um, recording and he will yeah. be utilising the music of Zaggy 2 um, at the start probably and at the um, outro as well. So good luck, Josh. Good luck, Woody. Good luck, Mel. Let your teams play better. And um, I'll just continue having a bleeding heart because the Saints are <laughs> terrible. So goodbye, everyone. Thank you.